All right, open up in your Bible to Joshua. We're working our way effectively through this awesome book of the Bible. I know I say it every time, but I think this is my favorite one. This is my favorite book of the Bible. So much fun. Like this one has been better than I than I thought. Just so so much here, so much cool stuff here, so much encouraging stuff here, so much convicting stuff uh, here in this in this book. Uh, Old Testament is just is rich. I, I love it. I mean, I, I I love the New Testament, and I love uh, talking about Jesus. But uh, man, I I love seeing God so richly displayed here. Uh, the, the story of Joshua is really all about the people of God finally taking the promised land that God had promised them long, long time ago. And there was all kinds of stuff that happened in between that, right? I mean, they had to get out of Egypt first, and that was a whole ordeal. And, and then they wandered around in the desert for a long time because they didn't trust God like they needed to. During that, during that wandering time, a lot of stuff happened. A lot of, uh, God was able to kind of establish some order and set up some rule, give them lots and lots of different rules. And most of the reason for those is because they were about to go into a place full of people that were horribly sinful and evil. And God didn't want them to be like that. But also, God wanted to establish kind of a baseline. Here's some things that are really important. Here's some teachings that we we want you to walk in and live in. And, and so God, uh, through Moses, gives, gives the Ten Commandments, which, again, there's a lot more than just the Ten, but these Ten are kind of foundational, right? These Ten deal with uh, how we are to relate to God as individual people and, and how we are to relate to each other. Uh, and and they're not, you know, all that hard to uh, you know, think, there are things that you would expect to see as, as, as basic rules, especially the ones that relate to how we deal with other people. Like don't, don't covet and don't lie and don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Honor your father and mother. Those kinds of, those kinds of things. And violating those commandments will harm our relationships with each other. Ultimately, they'll harm our relationship with God too, but really they'll, they'll affect how we interact with the people around us. The first few of those Ten Commandments, they're all about God, right? They're all about how we react with Him. Honor the Sabbath. Make sure that you take time out, just like God did, to rest. Uh, take time to worship Him. Take time that's dedicated on, fo- uh, on like focusing back on, on Him. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, don't worship other gods. Don't make any idols. He, he's, he's, Kind of big on that one. Like, don't, don't do that. Uh, the second commandment is all about not making idols. And, and in that one, God issues this harsh warning. He says, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Don't make a little statue of something and worship that and make that your God, which seems crazy to us. Who would do that? Like, who would make a, a carp out of, stone, and that's what I'm going to worship. But people did. People do. Instead, he says, you shall not worship them, serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, so uh, time out there. I mean, we read through that sometimes kind of fast, but what does that 
What does that actually mean? What does it mean visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation? I don't like how that sounds. Does that mean that I get punished for the sins of my father? That doesn't seem fair. God, how about this? How about you punish my parents for their stuff and leave me alone? How about that? Uh, why, do, why do I have to be punished? And I think God does. I think God does punish the fathers for their own iniquity. But there is an overarching truth of life that's embedded in this commandment. It's the fact that our sins affect other people. And if, and if you're here today in this room and can hear my voice and you are a human being who has ever interacted with other people, you already know that that's true, right? You've already experienced this for yourself. Every single one of us has felt the consequences of someone close to us who has sinned. All of us. And, and all of us have felt the weight of, of sorrow and guilt as we see the effects of our selfishness and sin on others that, that we love. All of us. Usually it starts with your parents just because that's who you're closest to, but it isn't confined to them. The sins of the fathers will affect their children. And sometimes those effects can stretch for a long, long time down the generations. And I think that's especially true when you've got parents who, who choose to reject God and to follow after other things and to worship other things. This, this lack of belief in God will be passed down to your kids and to your kids' kids, and, and it might take a long time before that's corrected. On the other hand, it says here that, that God's loving kindness is shown to those who love Him and keep His commandments. There's, there's this lasting blessing that stretches to thousands for those who obey Him. But again, the point is a simple one. Your sin affects lots of other people. And, and again, I know on a surface level, we'd all like nod our heads. Yes, I know. I felt it. You're right. I get that. But on a deeper level... We don't think it's true because I think Satan is really good at telling us it, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to know. This is a little secret. Not gonna, it's not going to hurt anybody else. This is just hurting you. Or, or maybe it's not even a bad thing. Like this is actually a good thing. God's rules are all, they're just so conservative and they're so weird and they're so like strict and God just doesn't want you to be happy. You'll be better off if you sin. The story here in Joshua chapter 7 is, is just a very stark example of how sin affects uh, other people. The, the, the story kind of ends off at the end of chapter 6 on this super big high note, right? I mean, they have, they have crossed the Jordan miraculously. God stops the water. They all go through on dry land, just like Red Sea. Uh, they walk around Jericho seven times, blow the horns, shout real loud. The walls fall down. They go in. They take the whole thing. Chapter 6 ends with these words, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Yes, that's awesome. Chapter 7 starts with the word, but. Oh, come on. <laughs> no buts. What is, what is there got to be a but? Uh, that's never good, right? All right, let's, 
Let's keep reading and see what the but's about. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Akarmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Interesting language there, right? Like, who, who took stuff? Like, the, the, the guy took things that God said, listen, when you go in, when you take the city, you don't take anything. You don't, you don't get any spoils. You don't get any plunder. You don't, like, it all goes into the treasury. Everything else gets killed and burned. Like, don't, don't touch anything. There were other times where God said, go ahead, take some stuff, but not this time. Who, who took the stuff? Achan did, right? This guy named Achan took the stuff. Who was God's anger burning against? The sons of Israel. Everybody. This this one guy's sin has this huge effect on a lot of others. Let's keep reading. Uh, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Aven, east of Bethel, said to them, go up, spy out the land, so the men went up and spied out Ai and returned to Joshua and said to him, ah, don't, don't let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men, pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Yikes. This loss is shocking. It means absolutely stunning. After their, their huge victory in Jericho, which was a large, like strong military outpost with probably a double walled city, this dinky little city of AI is nothing. Like that's not even a thing. Why would we not even have to worry about it? Spies come back and say, yeah, we, we've got this. We don't even have to send everybody. Don't make everybody walk all the way there. It's not worth it. Just send a couple thousand guys. We'll go take it. It'll be great. They had a lot of confidence at this point in their ability to win. And, and why not? Like, why not? So Joshua sends about 3,000 up there, and they just get whooped. I mean, they get beat up, chased out of the city, struck down, embarrassed, Weird. Like, what happened here? We know, like, we know what happened, or at least we have an idea because we read the first part, but Joshua has no idea what the problem is. There's, there's something missing though. Like, if you, if you read the first part there of seven, there's something missing from the military strategizing that Joshua does this time. It's God. God is missing. There's, there's no marching orders from God like there is in chapter three and in chapter six. They don't even ask his advice on this one. We're not, we're not going to bother him. He's a busy guy. We can take this one ourselves. I think if they had, if they'd have gone to God and said, all right, God, this is the next one. What do you want us to do? God would have said, okay, time out. There's a problem here. Don't go anywhere near them. You got to deal with this other thing first, but they didn't. I think sometimes success can make us more vulnerable to sin. Sometimes success and pride and comfort can make us way more vulnerable to sin. 
Joshua and his spies, they're, they're almost cocky in their assessment of AI. And again, you can understand why they would be. God had granted them huge success already. They're super confident. They can easily take a Jericho, which means they could really, this AI thing is, is, is nothing. The problem is that it, their, their overconfidence led to some assumptions and they fell back to relying on their own ability. Success led them to ignore God and rely instead on their own strength. I think they thought they were, they were too big to fail. There's no way we could lose. And I think uh, to some degree the success of the nation uh, emboldened Achan. Like he personally thought, ah, I can, like, I can take this stuff. Nobody's even gonna know. It's not that big of a deal. I'm just one little guy. God's not even gonna notice. And, and I deserve it. Like, I've been wandering around with my family out here in the desert forever. It's been miserable. Finally, I get my, my first look at some really cool stuff. I deserve this. Like, I've earned this for all the walking I've done. There's just something about success that makes us think that we can handle it. As individuals, as, as families, as churches, even as nations, often success and comfortability is a fertile breeding ground for sin. And partly because we think we deserve success, we think we're awesome, and, and God is going to bless us every single time in everything that we do or think or touch. And it leads to this sense of entitlement rather than this, this sense of dependence on Him. And that inevitably leads to failure. We gotta, we gotta guard against that in, in our own lives and in our own families and our own church and in our own nation. Also, I, I think there's something, there's something about, uh, when we're, when we're striving towards something, when we're working, when we're fighting, when we're battling against a, a common enemy. There's something about that that forces us to rely on God more. But when we get comfortable and bored and lazy, we wander off, right? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. King, King David. King David's a good example. Here's a guy who, who's chosen at a young age by God, handpicked by God. A man after God's own heart. A man who spent years fighting and working and building up this nation. And then later in his life, instead of heading off to war with the other men of honor, he just hangs back at the palace and mopes around and wanders up to the roof and sees Bathsheba and gets in trouble. And even in, even in this nation, Seems like those times in our nation's history when we're fighting a common enemy or working hard at building up our nation or working to recover from some sort of natural disaster, those are the times when we're relying on God the most. When they're, when we're the most faithful and, and unified and, and as a nation, when we have too much time on our hands, we easily ignore God and abandon faith and get distracted by our own selfish desires. We, we gotta be careful here because there's a pretty good chance that, that us, like all of us in this room, each individual one of us, lives a pretty comfortable life. 
Like we have a lot of free time. We have a lot of personal success in our individual lives. And, and those things, they are a blessing, but they can also be a curse. The, the victory over Jericho, huge blessing, no doubt about it. But it was also a curse in that it bred arrogance and complacency and selfishness. And so, so here's uh, the warning that I think we need to take from this, me included. Don't allow success or comfort to make you complacent or lazy. Don't stop relying on God in the good times and in the bad times, in the, for the, for the big things and for the little battles. Don't stop seeking His guidance. In everything, start with seeking out God's wisdom. Don't start to think that God owes you anything or that you're entitled or that you can do it on your own or that you don't need Him. Don't allow arrogance or boredom to take you down the same path that it took King David or or Achan. Second thing that we see uh, from this story here in Joshua 7 is that personal sin affects other people. We know why the assault on AI failed. Like, we know, but Joshua didn't. And so he does what he probably should have done in the first place. He he prays about it. Look at verse 6. Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. Both he and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? The Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. and They'll surround us and cut off your name from the earth. What will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Get up, dude. Why is it you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They've taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they've become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from their midst. Now, God doesn't always uh, punish everyone for the sins of just one, but there's something uh, that was just so, so like brazen about this particular act of transgression at this particular time, and God needs to deal with it swiftly. I mean, this is their, really their first, first battle, their first test, their first one out the gate, and already somebody has failed. I think that, that just like uh, the, the victories that we saw with the, with the crossing of the Jordan and with the defeat of Jericho, th- those things were designed to encourage the people. I think this account here is designed to remind the people of the seriousness 
of sin. This is a, a stern warning about what happens when we don't follow God and when we rebel. So after Joshua prays, there's this, this elaborate winnowing process that God establishes where basically we set everybody up and we start by, you know, every clan, every tribe, every family. And we narrow it down more and more and more and until God's finger is pointed at, at just one guy. At no point in that whole process, as they're picking out all the different tribes and families, at no point does Achan stand up and go, all right, it was me, it was me, I'm sorry, I did it, I confess. No, he just kind of hangs back and hopes no one notices or something. But eventually God calls him out. Down to verse 19. Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. Give praise to Him. Tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, and I coveted them, and I took them. Behold, they're concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Oh, interesting, right? I saw it, and then I coveted it, and I took it, and then I hid it. That sounds familiar, right? That's how sin works in our lives. We see it, and we want it really bad. We know, we take it, and we try and hide it. Achan and his his family and his his animals and all his possessions are are taken out, and they're stoned, destroyed, and then another rock monument is set up, just like the one that they set up after they crossed the Jordan. This monument was a little different, though. That, That monument at the crossing of the Jordan was to commemorate this awesome miracle that God had done and and how great and wonderful it is when you follow God. This monument was more of a don't be like Achan kind of a monument. Here's what happens when you don't follow and obey God. They set it up and they name that place Achor, which means trouble because of all the trouble this one man caused. Because of Achan, the army is, is beaten up on. Whole nation faces this embarrassing setback. Ultimately, his whole family line is wiped out. And, and again, usually the consequences of our sin is not quite this severe or immediate. But again, at this particular point in time, the importance of holding fast to God was super important and needed to be highlighted. I think, I think the whole theme, the whole theme of the book of Joshua, like I've said before, is that God saves. Salvation is from Him. And the reason that this story of failure is included in this book that's really all about conquest and victory, it's just weird to have a history book that includes failures like this. But I think the reason that it's included Again, it's to illustrate what happens when we don't let God lead. Shows us what happens when we, when we try and do things our own way, when we act selfishly, when we sin, when we disobey, it hurts others. 
all of Israel, all of Agan's family is, is punished for this transgression. And it seems unfair, but sin affects others, always hurts others. Again, that's an, it's a truth that we've experienced firsthand in our lives. But again, we've got that, that liar Satan telling us, that, no, 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 nobody has to know. But I mean, if we were just to think it through a little now, when we're all in church, maybe it'll make it easier to think it through when we get out there and we're tempted and it's a little harder. But let's think it through. What Are there any sins? Is there any sin that doesn't affect other people? Is there anything that we could think of that doesn't have a negative effect on those around us? What about anger? What about getting all mad because somebody doesn't do what you want them to do? Does it act the way you think they should act? Is, is anger hurt others? Absolutely, right? Have you ever been hurt by the anger of others? Probably. Anger, there's a lot to hurt relationships and feelings. What about greed? What's, what's wrong with greed? Okay. Just because I, I really want a lot of things. I mean, that's, that's more personal, right? That's more internal. That's more private. Except the, the thing with greed is that it causes us, it leads us to mistreat other people, to try and take advantage of them for our own gain. Greed will cause us to value money or things or possessions over people. That's ultimately what happened here with, with Achan. And, and the interesting thing is when they took him out to, to stone him, like he had a lot of stuff. There was a, a lot of animals and he, he had things. It's not like he was a poor man. And he wants more because he's selfish and he's greedy. Yeah, greed really hurts other people. What about gluttony? What about gluttony? How about that one? That one's not gonna, that one's just me. That's just me. I like food. Food is, uh, I, I thank God for it every time. I sit down, uh, leave me alone. I like, I like carbs. Does gluttony hurt other people? Well, I mean, if you're a parent and you're dead at 50 from a heart attack, then yeah, it probably does. Selfish eating habits, selfishness, really anything has a, an effect on other people. What about, what about sexual sins? What about a, a porn addiction? That's just a secret thing. Nobody knows about that. Who does that hurt? And there are few things that are more ugly and degrading and destructive than porn. It's particularly disrespectful and harmful to the women involved. It's dishonoring to your spouse. Often it leads to other sin that is even worse, even uglier. As sexual sins are perhaps the most destructive, probably why they're, they're mentioned so much uh, in all the warnings. Because these sins, those sexual sins, they often they lead to divorce and broken homes and increased poverty and children who struggle. And the sins of the father then get passed on to the children for generations to come. There's no sin. There's no sin that we could commit that doesn't hurt other people. We are all connected. Broken homes lead to broken children and a broken community. Sin at its core is just its selfishness and its pride that will always hurt others. 
Those things are so destructive to those around us. And, and it doesn't seem fair sometimes to have to be punished for the sins of others. Why should we have to suffer the consequences because of what my parents did or my grandparents, or my great-grandparents? That's always been how this world works. All the way back since the beginning. It was the sinful acts of our first like great, 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 great grandparents, right? Adam and Eve that saddled all of us with a sin nature and plunged the whole world into this curse. And that's totally not fair. That is not fair. That, that their actions would mess everything up for the rest of us. Because of their choice, now I gotta deal with like pulling weeds in my garden and uh, all these other curse effects of the curse. It's not fair. In Romans, Paul talks about the sad reality of sin. How the sin of Adam affects all of us. In Romans 5.12, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Ah, thanks, Adam. We're all born into his family. We are all born into the family of Adam. And as a result, our inheritance is sin and death. Yay. Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear this uplifting, exciting message about how you're all born into a doomed family that's cursed? The effects of one man's sin brought death to all. But Romans doesn't end there. That's the cool thing. That's not all of it. There's more to the story. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so... Through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. The effect of one man's sin brought death to all, but the effect of one man's righteousness has brought life to us all. We're born into this family of Adam, saddled with the consequences of the curse that came through him. It's not fair, but it's it's how the world works. Our personal sin affects others every time. But through faith in Jesus, that's changed. Everything's changed. We're born again. Born again into a different family. Instead of being children of Adam under this curse, we become children of God, eternally blessed. This is why when when uh, that, that Pharisee Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, what do I got to do to get to heaven? Jesus says, you got to be born again. Not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. And, and Nicodemus doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. But Jesus makes it super simple. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. It's through faith in Jesus that His act of righteousness is applied to us. It affects us. This is why salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. There is no other Savior. There is No one else who is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. No other act of righteousness that has the power to pay our debt. 
And there's no other family that we could be a part of. There's only the two. Only the cursed family of Adam that we're born into or the blessed family of Christ that we enter through faith in Him. And right now, at this moment, you're a part of one of those two families. And either you're a part of the family of Adam and under the wrath of God or a part of the family of Jesus and are a child of God. Decide which one that's going to be. And understand that your decision is going to have consequences. Not, not just for you and your life now, but for your kids and your kids' kids to the third and fourth generation. If you're not sure which family you're a part of, come and talk to me. I want to make sure that you are a part of this family of Christ. God, thank you again for, for your word. And even though, Lord, sin is messy and it's ugly and it's unfair, it affects those around us. God, we recognize that the righteous act of the One, Jesus Christ, also has had a profound effect on us. What He did, it, it changes us. It transfers us from that domain of darkness that we're born into as children of Adam and it, places us into the kingdom of the beloved Son. And so we praise you, God, for what you have done for us through Jesus. Thank you, God. Pray, Lord, that in our own personal lives, God, that you would protect us, guard us from sin. Lord, that you would do that work of of sanctifying, of changing us. Help us to understand the effects of our sin on others around us and on our relationship with you. Help us to not depend on ourselves. Lord, help us to not let our boredom or the sense of entitlement, or greed, or stand in the way of following You. Letting You lead wherever You want us to go, God. May we be be faithful. God, to trust You in all things. In Jesus' name, Amen.